the Chinese year of the black milkshake. A big black milkshake comedy podcast. Welcome from me, Yorma Kirko, and from him, Ray Mack. Welcome to episode 30, Shakers. The guest is history. <laughs> and that's a major milestone. So we thought we'd celebrate with a very special episode. Yeah, Ray and I are on holiday at the moment. The beaches, the fine cuisine, the hot, sultry weather, the erotic cocktails. Where are we again, Ray? We're here in Ireland sampling a few black milkshakes. And while we drink them, we thought it'd be a great idea, a great bit of crack, if we revisit the best of the guests from the very first year of our show. Hence the name of the episode. Get it? Um, <laughs> our very first guest on episode four, the erection section, was a comedian from your hometown, Ray. Bob Hennigan, a gentleman, a very, very funny bloke. And he's telling us about becoming an overnight success and how to deal with speeding fines, Jimster. Now we have got a man who has been known as Mayo's most charming ball of misery. Bob Hennigan, the fantastic comedian and MC of Ireland's Smallest Comedy Club. Welcome, Bob. Hello, guys. Hello to all in the ball. <laughs> in theory, Bob, seriously, it's in the blood. A huge percentage of our town, Ballina, are natural-born comedians, pal. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm doing a gig there in a few weeks, Ray, and the thing is, there'll be. I'm hoping there'll be 100 people at that gig. And I know that at least 90 people in that audience are going to be funnier than me. <laughs> it's like, there's a quote by uh, Carl Lewis, the great sprinter in the 80s. What are you most thankful for, Carl? And he said, I'm thankful for the 15 guys in college who were faster than me and who gave up. So that's, that's it. That's it, Ray. <laughs> Uh, Bob, if I may parlay over a wee minute, how long have you been in the uh, comedy lark? Oh, I, I only took it up last year, Ray. I, have, <laughs> I definitely haven't been at it for the best part of 15 years. Um, an overnight success. <laughs> an overnight success, 15 years in the making. I, I took it up as a, a, a bit of a hobby, and when I started doing it regularly, it started to become good at it, and uh, that, that's just the kind of the way it went. So here I am now. I think that's the thing, isn't it? it? You know, you start to get a bit of a name for yourself and then suddenly people assume that you are this overnight success and, you know, you've been tremendously lucky. And it, it really isn't like going on the X Factor or Ireland's Got Talent or something. This is, you know, you plug and no, plug and plug and plug at this. Oh, I, I've absolutely. been wasting my time for 20 years. <laughs> oh, and the thing is, comedians who've been at it, well, you, you get so... Um, fed up when you see someone who's like jumped the queue you haven't done their time in the trenches lads mm-hmm. uh, you know like yeah oh I've been out there in the in the piss and rain and go away to handing out flyers to French tourists who no speak of the English you know and uh, no we've done all the, the groundwork and now it's um, I wouldn't say it's a success it's, it's better than one it's getting better all the time I was very amused to see your video that you uh, posted this week about your driving fine. I think you, you're speeding fine, wasn't oh, it? And, oh, you know, whether you were trying to pay the fine for somebody else. And obviously, it doesn't matter what country yeah. you're in the world. These jobs who work for government <laughs> tend to be a bit like that. When I first saw the clip before I opened it and I saw you sitting there in a car, 
I thought to myself, is this one of these contrived things? And I'm guessing it wasn't. Oh, no, no. That was, um, I nearly needed to go for a drink after that. That was that was very simple. Going in, to, uh, just to explain to the, the listeners, I, I'm Bob Hennigan. Officially, I'm Robert. I went in to, to pay my fine. On the fine, it was Bob. On my license, it was Robert. It was in Tubber Curry in County Sligo, Ray. I actually just stopped. I was like, I'll nip in here and, and pay this fine, just get it out of the way. And by God, I nearly needed to go to the pub and book in a B&B for the night just to get the head straight. They couldn't get over how I had ID for Robert, but not for Bob. <laughs> and I was like, well, officially all my ID is Robert. You know, I was like, it's only Robert whoever gets in trouble. Ha <laughs> ha. And next thing, your one was looking at me going, what? I was like, no, no it's, it's a joke. <laughs> for the love of God, just take my money. Take my money. And like, she was like, oh, they have to match. They have to match. <laughs> I, I, oh, my head was my head was absolutely spinning afterwards. So I, I had to make that video straight away. It's like a it's like a little cathartic thing of like, um, it's almost like having a poo, you know, <laughs> having a big meal. That that's what the the the, the uh, interaction in the the post office was like. It was like a big meal. You had to have a big poo and get out of your system and uh, get on with the rest of your day. I was an hour and a half there. <laughs> Now, I like in in the post office. I was about I was about half an hour, but then I had to take a walk, and then I had to make that video. Uh, so it was like I'm not leaving here until I've drawn a line under this. And then speeding out the road, going so long, Trevor Curry, giving them the fingers, and like then realizing, Jesus, I'm only going to get another speeding fine here now. Well, I, I'm glad that who is metaphorical and not literal, because oh, yeah, otherwise that could have been an even more unfortunate fine for Bob or oh. Robert. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'd be going to a different town to pay that fine. <laughs> and if you listen to that episode in full or Google Bob, he's quite an, he's got quite an interesting story to tell, and he's a huge advocate as well for adults with ADHD. Our next guest is a feisty woman. Feisty. Feisty. Our next guest is a feisty woman that I've known, Jimmy, for most of my life. Morag Prunty, a.k.a. Kate Kerrigan. She is a well-known author and a former editor of Just 17 magazine. Yeah, she was our first guest with a Wikipedia page, in fact. Um, and she has a one-woman autobiographical play out at the moment about the uh, Irish diaspora called Am I Irish Yet? <laughs> and by the way, just so that I'm not covering up on this, by the way, I said feisty instead of feisty, didn't I, Jimmy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> and she was our first Christmas guest on episode seven. And she was with us talking identity, romance, take that, and so on. And you make one of your very first confessions about Reader's Wives magazine there, Ray, don't you? Oh, I, <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> the play that you did was on in October, I think, wasn't it, in Ballina? Yeah. Yeah. And how well was that received? Oh, it was received really well, mm -hmm. and it was the home crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've been I've been developing it um, for a year beforehand with and doing like various like small shows to different audiences mm -hmm. and stuff like that. 
And it has gone down very well because it is about diversity, essentially. Yes. And also as a writer and a performer, I'm, I think I'm also at that age as well. And I think Ray would be like me as well. Like we're, I'm very unfiltered. It's just straight down the middle. <laughs> Very good. Um, so in the, the little clip I've seen from that, it looked like you were actually doing stand-up comedy at the time. I mean, what I, what, I thought the same thing. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the, the play and its, its structure? Or um, It's my first attempt um, at doing something for the stage because usually what I do is like I do readings or I give lectures, that kind of thing. So um, it actually took me quite a long time to write it. Mm -hmm. And what it basically, because originally I wanted to write something about the broad, the broad topic of being second generation Irish. And what happened was when I was developing it with a, a writer called Kevin Toulis, who's a very established and well-known writer and a filmmaker. What kept happening was the bits of my own life that were in it. He was like, what's that? What's that? What's that? Write about that, write about that, because I did not want to write about my life because I can step back from my life and look back and think, oh, my God, like I have done a lot of things that other people yeah. have done, haven't done. But I don't want to tell people about it because it just seems like, oh, me, 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 me. Yeah. But eventually what happened was this play is my experience of being Irish. Am I Irish yet? <laughs> And it's set in my life, which is my childhood um, in, in Irish London wow. and then going through the 80s. But also about it's really about the underdog as well. You know, having left school at 15 wow. and then becoming a magazine editor and then coming over here and, and all of that. But it is it's like a roar from the diaspora. Wow. Do you know, it's like, wow. what does it take wow. to be? considered Irish and living it for like 40 years do you know get it out of you so it's really it's the voice of my tribe mm -hmm. saying mm -hmm. things that we just won't say yeah 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 was, was there any element of, was it was it therapeutic in any way for you I think it is performing it but I think it's also you know listen if you get to my age and you still need therapy you're in trouble <laughs> you know you you know you kind of you just won't accept me you keep saying oh you're English you're English you're English but then what was really interesting was the Irish people um the local people that have never you know just going oh my god really yes I do do that like that is not right you know I'm not going up to to to, to people saying oh you're black where are you from do you know what I mean but there were people there other people from diverse communities could relate to it totally. Mm -hmm. You said earlier in the show, Morag, you said earlier in the show, you met Kim Barlow and Robin Williams. No, so, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Take that. <laughs> take that. Take that. Take <laughs> that. I meant Gary Barlow and Robbie Williams. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So, yes, I worked with a fledgling Take That when I was the editor of Just 17. And in fact, Jason from Take That asked me out and Ooh. I turned him down. So there's something to uh, there's something for me to think about in my middle age. Mm -hmm. What might have been. What were, what were they like? Take that. I was going to ask the same question. They were really nice. They were really helpful. They were really enthusiastic. You know, they were just gorgeous young men who were singing and dancing and whose dream was coming true. 
and they were really really nice amenable guys they were lovely they were all really really sweet fabulous but uh, by the way uh morag something you don't know you have a very young fan younger really? than 17 16 15 14 in no. istanbul no can <laughs> i can quiet. i introduce can i introduce you to him <laughs> yes hello Aaron. move your christmas button here <laughs> is this Aaron? hello how are you doing i'm fine how are you good not too bad not too bad Something. yeah you i see you've inherited your father's beautiful red hair thanks well, i wanted <laughs> to say something merry christmas mark from ttu and your family thank you for coming on my daddy's and uncle jim's podcast you got skills and keep listening to the podcast just break crack <laughs> oh, I think, oh, I think you've got some of your. <laughs> That's okay. You're right. Absolutely, the charm of the Irish. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's well, you it. see, you know, uh, I'm I'm probably going to retire from all these shenanigans, tomfoolery that myself and Jimmy are building up gradually, and hopefully, Aaron will take over. <laughs> you, I, I, you, you should be yeah more like jimmy should be really happy because he's he's a technical genius myself oh, I, I should be I'm really happy genius. because aaron can use a computer <laughs> get out of here well he has the charm of the irish mm. and the red hair which always amplifies things mm. that's at least the 10 percent on top <laughs> more like more like uh hand on heart seriously no cutting fibs or joking aside do you ever find yourself googling yourself no i used to a lot when i was younger but um now now i don't bother googling myself mm-hmm. yeah. googling <laughs> yeah no <laughs> i think a better question raised that do you ever google yourself well, actually, no, because I don't know how to use a computer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Have you ever gotten reader's block? I'm sure people have asked you this over and right, over again. I think you mean writer's block, Ray. What if... <laughs> <laughs> Can I just... No, I never get writer's block, like, like... Ray. You're getting it confused with reader's wives again, Ray. <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking about those magazines again. As it's the uh, festive season, a classic children's Christmas book. What would have been your favourite? Children's book. I would say Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Roald Dahl. And the classic Christmas film would be Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, yeah, God. Yeah, and I'm a huge fan of Roald Dahl. And remember um, back to his Tales of the Unexpected. Yes. Loved that. And around 100 years ago. <laughs> you have been an absolute tonic, absolutely crackers, no filter, pure balana. I wouldn't <laughs> have expected anything less from a beautiful town and my beautiful county. Thanks a million for joining myself and Yorma on the Black Milkshake, the podcast. Merry Christmas and a happy new year, Morgan. Thank you very, very Thank much. You. And Merry Thank Christmas you. to you and all your family. Thanks a million. And same back at you. All okay. the blessings. Our next guest will be familiar to most of you. She's a travel writer and one of the most famous Australians in Istanbul. 
Yeah, Lisa Morrow writes about life as an expat in Turkey. She's written several books and writes for the New York Times, CNN, and has her own blog, as well as being a regular contributor to this show, and even has her own jingle as well. But luckily for her, it's one of it's one of the few jingles on here where I don't do the singing. <laughs> so do you want to tell people at home how people may have heard of you? Well, I uh, in two ways. One is my blog called Inside Out in Istanbul. And the other would be my books, the first of the same name. I'm a big fan of William Dalrymple, actually. And I wrote a biography of living in central Turkey and I sent it to him. But we started a correspondence. And when he came to Australia to give a talk, I met him. And uh, he was saying how I should write some stories about what life is really like in Istanbul and Turkey. Because and what I decided I wanted to do was to show people, like you talk about the diversity in Turkey, because I, can, like, I go back to Australia, I can still go back to Australia. And almost always the first question is, do you have to wear a headscarf? Yes. And like, no, in case you don't know, no, you don't. And so there's all these misconceptions. And yeah. You know, I, I know a lot of people, English speakers in particular, who, um, and, and German speakers for that matter, who often tell me what Turkey is like. And, and it's often, it's usually something about the president of the country or it may be something about headscarves or things like that and usually the only knowledge that they really have uh, of this country is you know an all-inclusive holiday in Antalya which is is not Turkey anyway really. no. but uh, yeah it's, it's really strange really strange a lot of people have an opinion about this place and it I mean I realized when I came here uh, five and a half years ago I don't know what I was expecting. I'd, I'd read lots of tourist books. I'd read Lonely Planets. I'd read Rough Guide and all of this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've looked up loads of stuff on the internet. And I, I had an idea sort of what Turkey might be like. You know, the, the cliche is it's, it's where East and West meet. Sorry, yeah. I hate that. That, that. Ooh, anyway, go on. To some extent, it, it makes sense. But it, it depends how you interpret East or West anyway. So, I mean, I, I didn't know what to expect. And I, I had done some preparation in advance, I thought. But still, the very first day, the very first week, the very first month, the very first year, almost everything was a complete and utter surprise. But then again, I think wherever you move, unless you've spent a lot of time there or got family from there, that is the case. You learn stuff all the time, and it's rarely what people who've never been think that it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe because I came by chance or maybe because of me I I've never sort of had a uh, I didn't really know what to expect when I first came mm. I've never understood people who try and interpret any culture by comparing it to their own the one they grew mm. up in because you know all right I always look for similarities between Australia and Turkey not I'm not talking political but like what unites us we all fall in love we all die we're all happy we're all sad blah 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 but how do we how does that play out mm. and I get really bored with the the trope of the East and West because it's it's not that simple. I used to have a friend who would, um, she she went out one Friday night uh, near Tuxum and she'd rented a really seedy, cheap hotel room because she didn't want to come home, um, had to come to the Asian side to get home. And we were meeting her in just, the lobby. Just for people to, to know this, Tuxum is pretty much the centre, isn't it, of European Istanbul? Yes, yeah, and there's a lot of clubs and things like that. And we were meeting in the lobby and she rang desperately asking me to come up to the room because she bought this super, super tight dress and she couldn't do the zip up on her own. And um, it was tight. It was short. And, you know, she looked great. Mm -hmm. But then the next that was Friday night. But the next Thursday night, I said I said something like, do you want to come for a drink or whatever? And she said, no, I can't. I said, oh, are you busy? And she said, no, I don't drink on Thursday nights because Friday day 
is the the lunchtime prayer is the most holy so I don't drink on a Thursday night and I thought oh that's really interesting and so she used to spend weekends with her boyfriend her mother and her grandmother knew she'd been divorced but she'd go to the mosque she'd pray she'd do all the things that were required of her and this notion that you're one or the other doesn't play in in reality yet someone came up with the idea of someone being a cultural Muslim where you don't go to the mosque but you do all the uh, prayer rituals when someone dies, for example, and there's a whole procedure. And to me, it's really fascinating because you'll see like two girls together and one's got long flowing hair. So she'll have a beautiful long flowing hair and her best friend might be wearing a headscarf and they'll have earbuds and they'll have one each and they'll be listening to the latest music, which will be like, oh, what's his name, Matos, the, the gay singer or whatever. And so like you can't say, oh, this person believes this and this person believes that because there's just right. so much variety and that's what I try and do in my writing not to say I'm I know but to say hey look this is what you should be observing and, and paying attention to mm-hmm. because the mosques the streets the history is all really fascinating but this is life and this is how it is evolving and how it's developing and that's what makes Istanbul particularly so exciting because you yeah. can't you can't know someone that easily without seeing them in lots of different situations yes absolutely And you can catch the rest of that interview on episode 10, Inside Out in Istanbul. Well, we've had a comedian and two authors so far, Yorma. Should we delve into the world of sport, pal? Yeah, why not? Ben Total Destruction Woodroff is the current World Toe Wrestling Champion and will be defending his title at the Hague Bar in Ashbourne, Derbyshire in the English Midlands on August the 19th. And here he is telling us about the sport and how to deal with foot fetishists. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Total, that, that sounds, for example, you're, you're a world champion, you don't yes. train. That's, yes. that's That sounds all so hairy. I like to live life on the edge, right? <laughs> good lad, good skills. I'm proud of you. You keep no, it up. That, you keep it up. <laughs> no, that, that's brilliant. Now, uh, when, when you go to your, uh, when the tournament is held in, in August, how many people are likely to be competing? The beauty of toe wrestling is, Jorma, is that people, no matter what, you you know, whatever shape, size, um, you know, gender or whatever, you turn up off the street, and this is the beauty of this sport, is that you do not need to have any past knowledge, experience, or anything like that. You literally can be walking past the pub where it's held mm-hmm. and walk in, sign up, compete, and become a world champion. And that is why I believe that this is one of the most unique sports in the world because there's no other sport that you can do that where you could just any Tom, Dick, or Harry walk through the door, sign up, have a go, and, and walk out a world champion. I mean, they'd have yeah. to beat me first, obviously, which is very unlikely. But, you know, I, I try and give people some hope. Just out of curiosity, are you the only total destructor in the world? Just the one. There's only one me, mate. Good skills. Brilliant. Fabulous. Well, Ray, I'm not sure if I told you about this, but last oh, year, Ben actually uh, invited us and uh, Uncle Eamon to come along to the next. Mm-hmm. Where? Exactly. Now, you, uh, so, you might enjoy that, Ray. Would I? <laughs> Could you see yourself Would doing I? that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I quite like my toes the way they are. Ben, no, way, no way Ray. in a million years that Ray would do that. He's such a hygiene freak. There's no way he'd touch toes. <laughs> you better believe it, pal. 
Oh, God. Well, Jimmy, on the other hand, on the other tour, Jimmy, you, you, you're you probably out for it. Well, yeah, I, I might <laughs> possibly, but I, I, I think my sister's coming that weekend. <laughs> All right. Watch, <laughs> Anything my, to get out of it, pal. <laughs> washing my hair. No, it'd be great to go and watch, though, wouldn't it? You've got two Nancy boys here, Total. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've already beaten you, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can uh, smell the fear from all that way away. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's the odorita's not working. Um, but I, I think uh, I mean we we were having a a, a chat then uh, a few months ago, I think, and um, you were saying that. Sometimes, because uh, you, you've got quite a profile on uh, Twitter, soon to have a, a blue tick, I believe. But there are some misunderstandings at times, aren't there, about the nature of your um, yes. hobby? Yeah, um, <laughs> you do get some weirdos. I think, uh, yeah, you find that's quite a, quite a predominant feature, um, shall we say, without the pun being intended there. Um, <laughs> and you just have to try and tend to... to uh, to sort of play along with it a little bit and um, just give them a little bit of uh, give them a little bit of what they need, if you will. <laughs> but uh, you know, um, at the end of the day, um, it's all a bit of tongue in cheek, isn't it? Really, um, mm-hmm. whatever floats your boat. That's that's where we comment is really. On that. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it, it, it's possible that we have some people uh, listening who don't quite know what we're talking about, so. You like to explain perhaps what one of the oddest messages that you've got from somebody off Twitter? Wow, um, I know Alan's had quite a few um, of somebody called Luke McFeet. Um, I don't know if that's his real name or if that's just his alias. Um, but uh, yeah, Luke McFeet is quite a fanboy for Alan. Um, sends him quite a few uh, pictures of his feet through the mail. Uh, I don't know how he's got his address. Whether he's previously uh, visited Alan in other walks of life but uh yes um he sort of uh yeah he he likes he likes the the the, the, the facebook uh, especially um i would say there's another bloke called colin um he also is quite prominent in the uh to, to to messaging just asking how we're doing um and i just reply back hi colin every time and he just never responds back and that then that's it really so <laughs> um, but you get the odd, <laughs> the odd people here and there, and yeah, look, it's it, it, it it's part of it's part of the sport, I think, and but it's not part of the sport. But it's it's something that will attract that sort of thing in the sport. <laughs> but the it's the price of success, isn't it? That's it. That, that's what I was trying to say, John. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, actually, with the, the fetish thing, uh, Quentin Tarantino. I, I thought you'd talk about that. <laughs> no, but I mean, Shop. in a few of his movies. He has a serious major fetish man with feet. Definitely, the one that I loved the most was uh, was was Salma Hayek, wasn't it? He uh, he he went right up there on stage and he got into those toes big time. Open the mouth, blah blah blah. What was the name of the movie by Tarantino? Something it was a vampire thing. I can't remember. Uh, anybody remember? I've just heard from. Um... I was going to say from my producer, but then I remembered that I'm the producer from my wife, uh, who's sitting opposite me. She said it's from Dawn Till Dusk. 
Oh, yes, 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 yes. Anyway, that was it. I, I just had to get that out in the open. <laughs> back, to, back to reality. <laughs> reality. <laughs> if you enjoyed that, you can hear more from Ben on our 12th episode, This Is Not A Foot Fetish, or follow him on Twitter at World Toe Wrestling Federation. Now we have another guest from my hometown, but Christina McMahon is one of your friends, I believe, Yorma. Yeah, Christina became quite well known in Ireland when she wrote a couple of funny songs that went viral on YouTube. And then she went on to Ireland's Got Talent and performed the hilarious Tender Tinder ballad. And we have the very talented Christina McMahon. Welcome. Woo! I'm giving myself a round of applause. For people listening there, Christina, actually, she's a very talented voice actress and actress in general and comedy writer. Do you want to tell them perhaps your most famous achievement? Okay, well, one of my most uh, famous achievements is I went on uh, Ireland's Got Talent. It's it's like Britain's Got Talent, but just for Ireland. I had I'd written this song and uh, I put it up on the internet. Uh, it was a, a tender Tinder ballad. Um, so it was like, <laughs> One, like it was just an improvised song that uh, I, I just put it up there then and then the producers contacted me going oh would you be willing to sing this song on the telly and I was like sure yeah and then uh, I had a week to prepare and I'd never sung in front of real people ever mm-hmm. Um, so then I like contacted a few people and I was like oh can I go and sing in front of you guys just to prepare myself Um, and then uh, I created a character called Bernadette Mary from Ovens and Cork because you have to be specific with characters mm-hmm. um so then i had a whole outfit for her a whole background for her and uh and i went on as her mm-hmm. um so i stayed in character as mm-hmm. bernadette mary even backstage so i responded mm-hmm. as her so she was from cork so i was like hi i'm so excited to be here i even have my tin whistle with me Fidelma, <laughs> and uh, she's going to be accompanying me so i'm not here by myself and then they're asking me like how i got there and then i was like oh sure i got the bus do you know the way you would feel sorry for someone sitting on their own? I went and sat beside them, do you know? You hate that, like, you know, being all the way by yourself, like, headphones on. And then, do you know, I just came down to say hi. And then they love that. Everyone loves that. So, yeah, and, uh, I sung my song. But I had to learn my song before I sang it because I had no idea what I said in my little uh, Tender Tinder ballad. But it, it's so much fun. So that went uh, that went viral. It's got, like, I don't know, half a million views or so on the internet. Uh-huh. And, uh, well, that was- some of those were me, I have to say. That was, that was how I heard of you. And I, I, I just thought it was so incredibly funny. I mean, when you, you, you play that note so horribly with the tin whistle, I think, at the beginning and the end. But what I think what I actually found funniest of all was the... And you'll have to tell me here whether this is um, exactly how it was. But when, you know, you've yeah. got a panel of judges there and uh, Louis Walsh, who... Uh, Ray used to work for, incidentally. Yeah, I very much got the feeling that he was not amused, and that but everyone else was. Did it come over that way to you? Yeah, I I think they because on those sort of shows they try to trip you up in some way, mm-hmm. you know, to like make good TV. So I, I like I didn't give them any good backstory about myself. So they had no sad story to be telling the audience. Just going, oh, and your dog, you just look so sad. Oh, can we get us some water? Oh, and then the judges seem like lovely people it's like oh look at them they're getting the poor girl 
water. Meanwhile, you as a performer are just like <laughs> on the inside, feeling like you're going to vomit or whatever. Mm. And then they're just like, so when you're ready, go sink. And then you're like, okay. <sighs> so I was like, not having that happening. So uh, they were trying to, I don't know, destabilize me in some way of going like this. Mm-hmm. Right, we have to get her out of this character. Uh, but I didn't budge from the character. Um, so, uh, yeah. method it, acting is Bernadette Mary. Um, I, I fully embodied her fully embodied i went the whole way she had a different walk she had she has a different way of speaking and completely different outlook on life she 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 is that person who goes on mm-hmm. goes and, and I mean, even down to the clothes as well <laughs> i mean bernadette mary wasn't dressed in the way that you would expect somebody to dress on a on a talent show i don't think was she no no uh i went shopping with a friend of mine and i got a a blue dress and a bright canary yellow cardigan yeah and then uh like gammy shoes <laughs> they're all from the like the charity shop mm-hmm. but uh yeah they set the tone of like what she was kind of like she was always trying to be cool even her makeup she did like mm-hmm. blue um or purple mascara mm-hmm. and purple eyeliner it's awful. <laughs> and like well, a bow in her hair. It's like, it's so much fun. Ask her. I, I just thought, my goodness, she's got, if you'll pardon the expression, she's got balls to do this. Not literally. But I, I just thought it was so good. And I, I did get the feeling, though, that Louis Walsh was only voting you through to the next round because he felt that the audience would have been against him if if he hadn't have done that. That was just my feeling. I could be wrong. Ah, yeah, I'd say so. Because the audience are completely 110% mm-hmm. with me. You know, yeah, and then I guess I was a breath of fresh air for the audience going, yeah, of course. Now, Shakers, you can hear that interview in full on episode eight Tender Tinder Ballad. If you're a regular listener to Black Milkshake Comedy Podcast, you will be familiar with Tim Hallam, who plays Greg in a lot of our sketches but is better known for being the host of Connections on Açık FM in Istanbul and internet radio for the last 14 years. Um, An eclectic mix of comedy and obscure musical tracks from the past. And here he is talking about the joys of discovering music when we were kids. You're you're obviously very passionate about it. And it reminds me, listening to your show, very much of how you used to research music before there was the internet and you know going into town every Saturday and looking up things in the Guinness uh, book of singles and things like that um, going into the library and listening to things going in all the second hand shops very different than you know when YouTube or something predicts what you might like next or you know you collect all your downloads and you listen to the songs but you don't listen to the albums of the way that you used to so I think it's really nice it's retro is there anything that you would like to say that you've not mentioned I think uh, just keep music real um, I think that, um, as, as we said, there was this golden era. I mean, you remember it and you mentioned it. I mean, just picture this, folks. I guess if you're under 35, you probably won't remember the situation where if you wanted to hear something, you had to either buy it as a record mm-hmm. or you had to find somebody's big brother or sister that had got that record and tape it for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. What an amazing era that was mm-hmm. that that joy of going into a record shop and seeing something that you you've never heard because you've got no way of listening to it there's no music streaming no nothing mm-hmm. wow and just what your imagination does when you're driving home with that record it's mm-hmm. incredible there's not enough mm-hmm. of that now 
keep music real is what I would say. I don't know. I, th- I, I think that music had more significance then in a lot of ways. I think it was more a cultural expression. I mean, if you look at, say, the, the 1960s, all right, you, you look at the way that people dressed, the way that the Beatles dressed in the early days compared to how they were dressing later. And the 60s sound most definitely evolved. But as soon as the 70s started, I think the main thing to do was not to sound anything like anything that had come in the 60s. Reject the previous decade. And I think by about 2000, that had all stopped. Well, there's always the thing that I've always found interesting. I mean, when I when I first started Connections, I thought, I know quite a little, a little bit about pop music. And I've learned, it's like, it's like doing a doctorate in pop music, really, uh-huh. doing like connections because you you learn so much and what you actually learn is how little you actually know (laughs) really i mean over 13 odd years you know people say god you must know everything and i I don't every week i find some or some band that i've never bloody heard of because the other thing now is you you mentioned the sort of um sameness i think of uh, the way that people put stuff on the radio especially music radio is that you get these shows nowadays where there's no DJ. You get mm-hmm. like three songs, then you get a commercial break, then you get another three songs. Mm-hmm. And I th- what's the point? I think it's nice to have something, I don't know, some syrupy goo between all the songs that sort of holds it together and makes it slightly more... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I, think, I think it definitely is. And certainly, you know, when we were younger, there were some very interesting presenters around. Yeah. When, I, when I actually found out how a radio station works, um, I found it very depressing that commercial radio, certainly in the UK, but I think everywhere, really, um, how scripted it is. And that the, the DJ is given a printed piece of paper from an office somewhere in London, which says 10.04, say the Cadbury's cream egg advert, comment about Britney Spears. And I had no idea that there was so little creativity in it. Because I'd, I'd always thought when I was younger, and I think it did, particularly with the BBC and very, very small independent stations, the DJs were picking the music and influencing. Commercial radio had just got to the point where, you know, you just had to make sure that you played it five times a day. And I've, I'd be in the... Um, the new studio doing doing my thing and I would actually just switch off the talk shit FM that was going on in the bathroom because I'd heard it all before. Tim's great to work with. We also guested on his show and that was tremendous fun too, Jimmy. You can hear the rest of our fifth episode, Halloween special. Check that one out. Yep. And our final guest is an American author and illustrator and very funny man indeed, Jonathan Heilig. That was brilliant fun, that one, Ray, wasn't it? He was the, the first guest, actually, who who helped us out with your rectal polygraph. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd never forget it. Thank <laughs> Thanks a million. Yep. And he's with us talking about how the Turkish government made him a hugely profitable star without paying him even a penny in episode 16. The bogus bra fitter of Ballina. Jonathan has become one of the most famous anonymous writers in the whole of Turkey. <laughs> now that sounds extremely weird, but I'm hoping that Jonathan can tell us a bit more about that. What on yeah. earth does that mean? Yeah, it's it's kind of insane. Uh, so the book uh, in question. It's called The Day the Sun Went Away. And I I wrote that in 2015. That was really my breakout book. The first thing that I was comfortable sharing with the world. And uh, I did a Kickstarter campaign to earn funds for it. And it was a very grassroots kind of knocking on doors, you know, carrying books in the back of my car type thing. Never, never knew what it would become. 
uh, never thought it would become anything, really. I was terrified the entire time. I was so scared to be criticized and to have people tell me that I was just not good. So I'm from Boston, by the way, and from Boston, uh, Bostonians are very, uh, uh, they're not very motivating people. They, <laughs> crabs in the barrel, I would <laughs> right. type. So uh, I was uh, very, I was just terrified. So anyway, uh, years later, I brought the book to Turkey and it was picked up by a publisher here called Beta Kids. And Beta Kids translated it into Turkish. And somehow, by the kismet, the hands of fate, the Turkish government found it and they picked it up without notifying me uh without notifying the publisher and they put it in their fourth grade textbook for public schools so it's now a part of the national curriculum and it's not just the book there's an entire unit on the book inside of every fourth grade textbook so uh it's in their science and technology section for grade four and they have exercises they have quizzes they have online tutorials on my story <laughs> wow. and, uh, and it's just uh i would i would never know maybe i would never know about this if it wasn't for one of my private lesson students she goes she goes to public school and she came to me one day and she said you're in my book and so i looked at it and i said my god i am in your book <laughs> wow good so, skills, jonathan <laughs> yeah so millions of people are reading the book now in turkey and uh that's a, that's a good thing that's a net positive and um and I, I'm presuming that you're living off the royalties from that at this very moment, aren't you? Or if we were in any, if we were in any other country, I would be. Uh, <laughs> at this now hold on a minute, Jonathan. Now don't forget I'd be your a good old friend Roman baller, but no. <laughs> don't forget your good old friend Johnny Beans. Or is it? I won't Johnny Beans. <laughs> and your McCurko. Never forget my boys in the black milkshake. Exactly. So, Jonathan, how did they get round not making you a very rich man for that? I Well, they have. A, so there's a, a loophole in Turkish law, as I'm sure there are many loopholes in Turkish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if you, you're allowed to take an author's work um, as long as you take a certain percentage of it. And the way that they did that is they took basically my whole story and used different illustrations. So since it's a, I'm an author and an illustrator, the whole work is mine, uh, but they just kind of remove the illustrations and uh, put somebody else's. <laughs> <laughs> but they did, but they didn't, they did, they did uh, credit me by name. So I'll, I will give them uh, props on that. <laughs> Thank you for crediting me by name without notifying me. <laughs> very, very nice of them, wasn't it? My God. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I use it. It's, it's really, it's a bizarre circumstance. I, I could never imagine something like that happen. But I'm, I'm using, I'm using it for my own kind of advantage now. I'm using it for self promotion, and I, I'm a, I'm a, you know, self promoting guy. So I just, I'm using it to my advantage. And uh, oh, you have to, cool. don't you? You have to. Kind of cool when you think about it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know the old phrase: when life gives you melons, you make melonade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> if, if you could tell your younger writing self anything, seriously, Jonathan. Yeah. What would it be? Ah, that's a great question. Off the I would have told I would have told myself to uh get over my kind of self-criticism because I wasted so many years thinking that nobody would want to read my work. And so many years wasted. Who knows how many books I could have had by now, how many stories 
kind of died with with my own kind of self-doubt. So I would say um, get over that immediately. And if you have an inkling, any inkling to tell a story or paint a painting or sing a song, just do it. Don't listen to the, I mean, cr critics are always there. There's always going to be, you know, people who love your work and people who hate your work. So mm. <clears throat> ignore it, ignore it. And just kind of, so that's why I kind of, mm -hmm. I write for myself, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm definitely not famous by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm, I write, if I complete a book that I really enjoy, that's my greatest joy. Mm -hmm. like that i enjoy well that's wonderful how many of you actually completed now um i've got six and i've got really six and a half i have uh one that's almost finished now and i've mm -hmm. got like three or four uh on the on deck let's say so okay I'm, you know, yeah so i've got many more to come yeah and, great uh, I just, yeah i've had a young baby and it's really hard to find time to to sit and write these things but i think she's getting older now she's almost she's well she's two now so mm. i think so you, you've time. probably stopped breastfeeding now have you breastfeeding is finished from my end <laughs> <laughs> so we're definitely going to have you back on the show for the new books, very... yeah? <laughs> i think no. she might be an alcoholic now though because my blood type is uh my blood type is guinness <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that pal <laughs> Um, Jonathan, is there anything that you'd like to say uh, that we've not asked you already? Oh well, I just—I mean, I, I have a lot to say, uh, but I, I usually <laughs> I usually say everything that I have to say in my in my books and my stories, just because I find uh, you know that I mean I'm better able to express myself in writing than I am in in spoken word. So um, I would just say for everybody who's listening, please, uh, if you are interested in in my books, please read them and share them. Just spread the word and uh i'm, I'm deeply sorry this is extremely unprofessional of me but i ordered a domino's pizza just before this phone call <laughs> and i belched in the middle of that sentence that was, um, would you, you really accented my my moment there would you mind i'm sorry uh would you mind saying that again <laughs> i've never asked in my whole life could yeah. I go and have a piddle? <laughs> <laughs> Would you mind? <laughs> no, cheers, guys. Keep no, it up. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. No, so, sorry, cheers, Jonathan. Cheers, could cheers. you just say that again, more or less? Not at all, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah and, but you were given a really good answer, and I, I, I burped. <laughs> I tried to suppress it. <laughs> but my mouth is so close to the microphone. I'm not sure if it came out or not. <laughs> I think... I think we should leave it in, man. It's beautiful. <laughs> Why not? Why don't we just leave it like that? Leave it's a it podcast in. after all, isn't leave it? it in. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I think uh, whenever I start to take myself seriously, you should burp in my face. <laughs> okay. I think I think that's a deal. And next time you're on the show, I think we'll definitely do that. Well, there we have it. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you stayed with us to the very end, can you share the link to this episode, please, on your social media? Um, send, let your friends see it. Tell them that you enjoyed it. Special thanks to our guest, Bob Hennigan, Morag Pronti, Lisa Morrow, Ben Wardroff, Christina McMahon, Tim Hallam, Alexi, Jonathan Heilig, and our silent partner, Eamon McAndrew. See you next Friday, Shakers. Good skills. Good skills. Black Milkshake Comedy Podcast was presented by Ray Mack and Yormer Kier Co. and was produced by James Kirk. No animals or copyright were violated during the making of this podcast. Black Milkshake 2023.